0: You guys are all familiar with that saying. If things seem too good to be true, they probably are, right? Whether you learn that from that timeshare that turns out you don't use very often, right? (laughs) Or that car that turns out isn't in perfect condition. Or maybe that campaign promise you're still waiting for, right? (laughs) Right? seems too good to be true, life teaches us that oftentimes it isn't. And life has really beat into us this skeptical and guarded attitude when we see things that seem to be too good to be true, right? Well, in chapter 15, the most generous and all-sufficient God reminds Abram and us tonight, right, and us, but it's not that way with him. He reminds us all that God's promises, no matter how they seem to be good, too good to be true, are always yes and amen. Amen? <laughs> That's what he reminds us of tonight. They're yes and amen because they're based on him. His nature and His character, as we'll see tonight, even if we're in a spot of poor perspectives that we may be even frozen in our very fears and doubts, they're still yes and amen, because they're based on Him. That's your part. They're based on Him, His character and nature. And tonight, even if we aren't even around to uphold our end of the bargain, they're still Yes, and amen, because it's based on? That's what his promises are based on the very nature and character of this awesome God that we serve. Amen? He's the ultimate, as we'll see in chapter 15, promise maker and keeper, and the ultimate covenant cutter. And we're going to see that tonight. God deals with two promises. They're not new promises, they've been brought up in previous chapters. But in the first six verses, we see God promising Abram a son, an heir, right? Descendants. You may remember when he separated from Lot in chapter 13, he promises him descendants and heirs, right? As many as the dust on the ground. So it's not the first time, but he comes back up. And this time we'll see Abram, he grabs this promise, He believes in it and makes it come to life. He uses his faith to shake his fear and he believes that he's gonna have an heir. And the last 15 verses, we'll see a promise of a land to possess. That's the other promise we'll see. That's the first Abrahamic covenant. God made with Abram. You may remember when he called Abram out of the land of Ur of Chaldeans. He said, leave your family and your land to a land that I'll give you, right? So not the first time, but this is an awesome section. The last few verses, a little bit weird, but, it, but it's really cool. God cuts a covenant with Abram that he will get some land And it's awesome. And he'll possess it. He ratifies it. He guarantees it by cutting a covenant with him. Are you guys ready tonight? Seriously, it's like Wednesday. You guys full, right? Are you guys ready to check? That's a wonderful chapter. You guys ready? Yes. Okay, let's do this thing. You got to help me. It's a Wednesday. I work today. And I'm sure you did too. (laughs) Awesome. Verses 1 through 6, chapter 15 of Genesis, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. I'm your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? <laughs> For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus, and Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household, a servant will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, this man shall not be your heir for your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look towards the heavens and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so Shall your offspring be? And Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Amen? Those are some great, that's a great paragraph. And right away, it's obvious in the first verse, you see, Abram is not in a good spot. The Lord has to come to him and say, fear not. So at the minimum, Abram's afraid, right? (laughs) By definition. Oh, Abram's not in a good perspective right now. And to really get into the heart and the mind of Abram right here at the beginning, before verse one, you got to look at the first three words. What does it say? After these things. What things? Chapter 14, right? And if you were here last week, you saw the Old Testament come to life, right? By a gifted Bible teacher actually telling a story about a battle. You guys, were you here? Or was it just me? But the Old Testament, when it comes to life and you see these battles, remember the battles? There were five kings against four kings. And the four kings had a super king named Ketalemur. Remember him? And the five other kings were like, "We're done paying you tribute. We're gonna. This we've had enough. It's gonna come to to a big battle, an epic battle. And if you remember, Ketelamor and his group won, right? He drove. They drove them out. They took all their possessions. Remember, they're in the Valley of Siddim. He took all their stuff, and also they took Abram's nephew Lot. Remember, they took Lot. Took all the possessions from all those kings." in the area that Abram was living, and they went away. Well, when Uncle Abraham, or Abram, heard this news, mm, he wasn't so happy, was he? He was brave, and he grabbed 318 men that said were born in his house. These were mercenaries. These were people that he would call Family people that he knew who he had coupons to spend with. These people had a heart of a volunteer and they rallied them and they went out. They knew Lot and Abram and they went out and they went up and they kind of surprised, I think, Ketalemar. They rallied and beat the super king, took all their stuff back, right? Including Lot. And they were heading back home. And along the way, you remember he met some interesting characters, but one person he met was the king from Sodom, remember? And he offered him, hey, I know you got my stuff back. (laughs) You can take it. It's the plunder. Just go ahead and take it. That was the rules of engagement back then, right? And remember what Abram said? I'm gonna take your money. I'm not gonna take one thing from you, king of Sodom. I'm not taking a sandal strap from you because I've swore allegiance to the god of the bible the gods of heaven and earth right remember that so now he he goes home and i can just picture abram in his tent still living in a tent in the just in the wilderness just in the tent and i can just picture him sitting there maybe like you and me after we have confrontations after we have things with spiritual consequence big events what do you do when you go home and you put your head on the pillow? Anybody else push rewind? Did I make the right move there? A little bit of second guessing, maybe. Maybe a little bit of doubt slips in and then it moves to what? I'm afraid, of cat. That's probably the way it works. I don't know, it doesn't tell us, but maybe, just maybe, he thought maybe he woke the sleeping giant in King Kettleamore. After all, he beat him in a sneak attack when they were probably half drunk celebrating the big victory. But could he beat him when he came back for him? Mm. Was he feeling vulnerable? Like he was scared that he wasn't gonna be able to protect himself and his family and his clan. You ever felt that way? Uh oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Now they're gonna come after me and now fight on right? Maybe it was protection he was worried about. Maybe it was a hamster wheel, just you ever do that? Rewind, rewind, second guess, second guess, second guess. Doubt, 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 and now I'm scared, now I'm scared, now I'm scared. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe he had rewound the godly confrontation he had with the king of Sodom. Not taking your money. He was owed that plunder. He earned it. Maybe he was like, maybe I should have taken that money from that evil king. No one would ever know. You ever been there? Uh, because after all, moral platitudes and godly stands don't pay the mortgage, right? <laughs> they don't feed the crew. We can justify all sorts of things. Maybe Abram was worried a little bit about, maybe protection, maybe Kaleiw was coming back, maybe provisions. Is God now gonna provide for me? I passed on this payday. And in those days, that was a big payday. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. I know that he was afraid enough where God said, hey, Abram, I'm gonna come to you at night and I'm gonna comfort you. Because I know you're scared. I know your hamster wheel's running fast. Settle down, reel it in, Abram, right? Fear not. Oh, God knows we need that command. You know, it's the most common command in the Bible, yeah? Hmm? Fear not. Because God knows we are scaredy cats and that we are a fearful people. We're like mice that scurry outside our holes. We look around and then we go back in and we worry. And then we go out for a little bit, then we go back in our holes. Like Abraham, maybe we are worried that we can't protect and provide. Maybe we have a hard time placing faith in God that he will make things right and protect. Right? Trust me, it's hard to make it nowadays. There's a lot of bad stuff out there that we need protection from, amen? Open your eyes. It ain't getting better out there. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Ah. Or maybe you're like me. Maybe my greatest fear is I'm afraid of failure. Anybody in here like that? Afraid of letting people down around you? You feel that weight of just Fear of failure, of letting others and self down, that you're not going to measure up, right? That the fear of failure really keeps you from launching out. Mm. Whatever brand you you uh, prescribe to, fear is a problem. And one thing for sure, fear is probably one of the biggest performance quenchers in your life. And if you didn't know that, it's true. Whether it's your job, any task you set your face towards, your relationships, performance quencher. You will not get where you need to get if you were afraid. But yet we're afraid, right? The biggest damage it does is to our spiritual lives, though. Did you know that? Because fear, as we all know, according to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, doesn't come from above. It doesn't come from God. Right? God has not given you what? A spirit of fear. But he's given us a spirit of power, in love, and of sound mind. Amen? See, that, that's what our enemy wants to mix up in us. He knows he can't hurt you. We already have God's protection and his provision. He can't hurt you. The only thing he can do is scare you. And then we end up hurting ourselves by fearing. Are you hearing me? Is, is am I talking to the right people tonight? You see cuz this is for me. He can't hurt you. He can just scare you. And then you end up worrying so you hurt yourself. Oh, his playbook. Is fear. And I wanna, I, I wanna encourage you tonight. And, and Abram was, was afraid, <laughs> but God knows he's afraid and he knows we're afraid. Of course he knows. And he tries to reel Abram back in to conquer his fear, right? To give him the antidote to fear. And that is having faith in the character and nature of Almighty God the awesomeness of God's character, placing your your, your faith in those arms to carry you through. That's the anecdote for fear. If we really knew that, we wouldn't be afraid. And the Lord has shown me very many illustrations in my life about fear and about failure and about freedom and about faith. But the one I'll never forget is when my wife went through some medical problems. And there's nothing that strikes fear into your heart like, getting an MRI or getting those blood results and it just doesn't look right. Lord, say it isn't so, right? You've seen those. And it came to the point where my wife needed a brain surgery for a, a rare brain tumor. And I remember we, 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 we were okay with it. We would talk about it and we would pray about it. And it got down to the point where we went to the pre-op and, we, and, and and they told us what was going to happen. We're going to take this little saw and cut a thing over your forehead and take it out and put it on the table and like, mm. <laughs> And then we're going to go in there and turn you upside down and let your brain by gravity get out of the way. And we're going to spend three or four hours teasing this tumor out from the base of your skull. It'll, it's no problem. I'm good at it. <laughs> we were kind of afraid but we were kind of trusting the kind of trusting the lord and kind of having faith in his protection but this is what i learned through all of that a lot of things but here's one thing i learned is talking about a brain surgery and praying about a brain surgery is a lot different than actually having a brain surgery because what i remember about it is when it came down to go time you know when they got the person on the gurney and the loved one can, can't go any further and you say your goodbyes, you know, you know that spot? <laughs> You're like, oh. I think my wife saw the fear on my face. And she said, don't worry, I'm floating in the hands of God. And I said, oh. she just, she wasn't afraid. And that was the day that I figured out my mouse of a wife was pretty gritty. She let God be gritty for her. And she took it, that's what we're talking about. God reels us back in like he's trying to reel Abram in by saying, listen, (laughs) listen, you need to have faith in me. I'm your protection, I'm your provision, the person of me, the character of me. That's why he says next, fear not what? I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. Me, I am the sufficient answer for all that you fear, God would be saying. It's me, of of course it's him, right? Amen, of course it's him. Christian, of course it's him. But do we believe that? Now listen, I mean, do you really believe that? Oh yes, I believe, but Lord, please, Help me with my disbelief, right? Do we really believe, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6, that this God will never leave you and he'll never forsake you so that we confidently can say, if God is my helper, I will fear no man. Can we say that with a straight face in the mirror? Can we say Romans chapter 8, verse 31? If God be for us, who could be against us? Do we we believe this? Do we have to preach our soul a sermon here? Do we say Psalm 27, 1? The Lord is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Right? He's the light of my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He's the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Amen? This This is what we're talking about. This is God. He's saying, I am your shield. I am your invisible protection. I am your refuge and your strength, your overshadowing rock that we can ride under and hide for protection. We have a living shield in God Almighty, protecting his children, amen? He is our shield and it will be there And you'll be immortal in some ways until your work in Christ is done and he brings you home. Fear not, I am your shield. But he's more than that. He's also, if you saw it, exceedingly great reward. Some of your translations may say, your reward shall be very great. Nah, that's not it. In the original, it says, I am your shield, your great shield and your exceedingly great reward. It's me, I'm your provision, I'm your plunder, I'm your bounty, I'm all you'll ever need and I can provide all your needs. I'm the all-sufficient God, I am the good stuff personified, amen? I'm all you'll ever need. Hmm. Listen to me now, experiencing and knowing the God of the Bible is by far the greatest experience of the human heart that you'll ever have. It's him and it's him alone. It's not what he gives you, it's him. It's a personal relationship with the God of the Bible that will bring you joy that, and fulfillment that you can't get anywhere else. It's the height of the human experience. And I hope we've all experienced that, right? his protection and his provision. But if you're like me and like Abram, sometimes we answer like he answers. Did anybody catch it? Fear not, Abram, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. Abram's answer? Oh Lord, what will you give me? What? No, seriously, what? (laughs) I'm just, listen, I'm God's, I'm right here. I am your shield and exceedingly great reward. Oh, but what will you give me? We all miss the point. We all look to the gifts instead of the giver, amen? Reminds me of my my young kids Uh, when they were maybe five and seven. I didn't travel much with my job, but Early on, I, I did some speaking for a pharmaceutical company. So I'd travel a bit here and there. And um, I remember when I came home, the first time I came home as a young dad with young kids and you walk in the door and you just miss them. You just miss them. I mean, they're at such a fun age, right? They're at that age where you could wrestle them. And you walk in the door, and your dad's home. And what do they always say? What'd you bring me? What'd you get me? What'd you get me? I'm like... Hey, I'm right here. We could play. I buy you stuff. I could wrestle with you. Right? I'm the guy if somebody breaks in here, I'm going to protect you. I'm that guy. Yeah, dad, but what are you going to give me? <laughs> no, I'm really, I'm right here. <laughs> Here's your don't with don't mess with Texas t-shirt. There you go. Enjoy it. Right? <laughs> Ah, tone deaf, spoiled kids. Amen, that's you and I. When the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the creator of the ends of the earth says, I'm your reward, we ask what he's gonna give us. Pretty sobering. We'll cut Abram a little slack. He's probably 80 years old, about somewhere between 75 and 85, probably at this point. And maybe he was just sick in the heart. Maybe he'd lost hope. You know, he was promised an heir some 10 years prior and he had nothing. His, all he had was this kid, Eleazar, a servant's kid. He's like, God, what are you gonna give me? Am I giving all of my, is this who's inheriting my stuff, the servant boy? Proverbs chapter 12, verse 13 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And maybe that's Abram. Maybe that's us. We get stuck on the things. Mm. God says, hey, no, it's not Eleazar. You're gonna make a baby. Quite literally, it's gonna, your, your heir is gonna, you're gonna have a son and it's gonna come from your loins. Abram, you're gonna make a baby. That's what he told him. Amen. And then God takes him out, so gracious. To a tone deaf Abram, he takes him outside Oh, man. And one of my favorite parts about the Old Testament is to put yourself in that. He took him outside in that eastern sky at night. And I wonder what those stars look like when he showed him the stars. He said, look at all those stars, Abram. Check them out. You see my handiwork? If you can number those, it said, that's the number. That's how many descendants you're gonna get. Can you count them? And I think Abram just, Looked up at those stars, 10,426, 10,000. They gotta start over. 11,000. What was God really asking Abram? To believe that which seems too good to be true. He's asking him to believe the impossible. He can't even count them. What he's asking him is to have faith in the promise maker and the promise keeper. Amen? That's what he's asking him to do. And I don't know if you caught it, but it said he believed. He looked up there in that sky, the vastness and the multitude of the stars. He relaxed and he rested in the faith in the one that was bigger than him. And he had faith. And it said that he believed. He used his spiritual eyes. That's what he did with his regular eyes. He's looking at it going, I'm 80. I don't have one yet. I can't even count these. But yet, he stopped and he said what we all should say. And it's that when we have faith, when we use our spiritual eyes, we need to say this that seeing is not believing. That's not faith. We don't have faith in stuff we see. Here's the deal. Believing is seeing. He believed and then he saw it to be true. That's how faith works. Hebrews chapter 11, verse one. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things you cannot see. It's when you look at a promise that God gave you and you look at it and you take the faith that he gives you and you shoot it with that faith arrow and boom, it comes to life and it's something you can see and touch and feel and grab. That's what happened to Abram, it was awesome. He had faith. And the key for Abram is he did not look at the difficulty and the impossibility of it, but he looked at the one who made the promise, the character of the person who made the promise. His eyes weren't resting on the problems, but on the promiser, amen? He's a promise maker and a promise keeper, this God that we serve, amen? And don't take this the wrong way I was involved in that organization called Promise Keepers when it came out. I don't even know if it's still going. It was awesome. I thought it was good. I just thought to myself I just I remember being at Autzen Stadium with probably 50,000 men, at least 40,000 men, singing hymns, making commitment with men to keep our promises and it was awesome. I loved it. But in retrospect, Looking back, I'm not a promise keeper. I try. Don't get me wrong. I try my best to be the man I'm supposed to be. But life has taught me. I need a promise keeper and it ain't me. It's him. It's him. Amen? I think that's the idea. What's awesome is how God responds to Abram. This is an awesome verse. He said he believed and in verse I can't see. First, it's too small. Maybe 6. I'm going to go with 6. <laughs> Do you hear seven? Do we have a 7? Do we have an 8 now an 8? <laughs> he said, "And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him to be righteous." Amen. Oh. What we're saying here is that Abram was justified The same way we are, by what? Faith. God counted him righteous by his belief in the promise that he made to him. You see, this incident under the stars is simply one instant, one example of many in the Bible, which illustrates the way God imputes righteousness to men. And it's not based on things that we do. It's based on belief in him, Amen? It's how we are justified by faith, right? We are to place our faith in God who sent a son to live amongst us, die, be buried, and rose again, Jesus Christ. And we place our faith in him, right? Oh, God then mathematically imputes all the righteousness of Jesus Christ to your account. And then when he looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees you through the lens and the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. That's our only hope, amen? Justification by faith, that's our story. And it's not just that we're saved that way. We ought to be living by faith, right? The Bible says we are to what? Walk by faith, not by sights. We need to use our spiritual eyes, our faith. The fundamental problem by not using our faith, not using our antidote to fear, will be in fear, but we'll also be not pleasing the Lord. Right? Does anybody remember Hebrews chapter eleven, verse six? It says it's impossible to please God without what? Faith. Faith is serious business to God. It's serious. It's the basis of our relationship with him. We ought to walk by it. May we, by faith, take the promise maker and the promise keeper at his word and believe. Take the anecdote for fear. Look at the promises come to life in our lives. Amen? So that's verse one through six, promise of a son. They're going to be as much as the stars of the sky, and that will come true. And has, in a lot of ways, already come true. Amen? The second part, I'll read it to you in chapter seven. I mean, verse seven, it's a promise of a land. Promised him an heir, a son. Now he's gonna promise him some land. And we're gonna see God be the covenant cutter He's going to ratify that promise. He's going to guarantee it by cutting a covenant with Abram. Let's check it out. Starting in verse seven. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So, God reminds Abram who he is and who he is. He said, I'm the one who brought you out and called you, chapter 12, the calling of Abram. He said, yeah, hey, you pagan idol maker, leave your father and mother and come to a land I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give it to you. Leave. By faith, leave. I'm the guy. (laughs) He said, I'm the Lord who called you. I'm the same guy, same God, same promise. We're back to square one. I promised you then, and I'm going to promise you again, I'm going to give you some land, Abram. And then Abram says to God, well, how will I know? You got to like Abram. How will I know? And I don't think he was being super doubtful. I think he actually wanted to know how to, Am I going to take this land? I've been here for nearly 10 years. I've walked in down a lot of it and I don't own any of it. I don't. So you you say you promised me this land, but how am I to know that I will get it? Hmm. Check it out in verse 9. Lord tells him how. He said, he said to him, let's make a deal is what he says to him. You want want to guarantee that you're going to get some land? Let's write a contract and I'll sign it. So Abram, I'm going to give you a list, get the contract written up. Here it is, check it out. He said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these and he cut them in half. And then each half over against the other but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Hmm. On Basically God's saying, hey, um, let's settle this once and for all in your mind, Abram. Let's get a contract ready. And in those days, this is how contracts looked. They actually made covenants with each other. They cut covenants actually, literally means they cut a covenant. And it was usually done between two parties. They would take something that was valuable, usually animals, right? They would take these animals. Here we have basically a, a heifer, a goat, a ram. He'd take these animals and they would cut them in half. They would kill them and butcher them. It was a bloody mess. Blood was shed and half over here and half over there. And they left a path down the middle of it. And then the two parties would walk together down the middle of those dead carcasses and repeat the terms of the contract. Whoa, that seems serious to me. The symbolism alone seems serious to me, amen? I mean, that's serious business. Blood, death. There was expense involved. It cost something. It was sealed by blood. Blood. And it also speaks of consequences. If I break this terms, may you shed my blood. May you kill my animals. What? It's serious business. And don't take me wrong, I don't wanna kill animals in this day and age, but I do enjoy the seriousness of these contracts. Do you not? Because nowadays, you can get out of about anything. It, your word, it, it's only as good as a person signing those papers. But back then, it was their version of, I promise, hope to stick a needle in my eye. Like somebody's gonna get hurt. There's gonna be blood if we break this contract, right? So he cut a covenant. And as Abram's waiting, I don't know how long he had to wait there. He's saying, go gather all these things, cut them in half, get them ready. And then I'm gonna cut a covenant with you, Abram. Abram's waiting for God to come walk with him through the middle of this carnage, right? And promise him and guarantee and ratify the deal of getting some land so much so that the buzzers and the vultures were coming down and starting to pick at He had to chase them away. Abram had to be patient. Is God coming back? Well, he comes back. Verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. And I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. (laughs) So waiting to cut a covenant, with God Almighty, God comes back and puts Abram nighty-night. He says, go to sleep. And he speaks to him in his sleep. And he gives him a little bit of a glimpse into his future. Prophetically, God speaks to Abram and his future descendants and what's going to happen to him. And if you listened well, you heard things like, your, your descendants are going to be sojourners in a strange land. They're going to be afflicted for 400 years, but I'll bring judgment upon their sub- the people that subjected them. But in the fourth generation, they'll come back and they'll get this land that we're standing in front of. And if you know your history of the nation of Israel, you know that's about right, don't you? You know it's about right. That's how it all played out to the letter, right? They did go down to Egypt, Inward enslaved for 400 years, right? Until God, what did, what did God do? You got all these slaves making bricks, the original hod carriers, right? For no pay, subjugated under Pharaoh at Egypt. And then God brought in Moses. He let him kind of figure things out down there for a while until he had enough and he brought a deliverer. He brought Moses down there and Moses delivered him, Right? What does it say? I'll bling judgment upon the nation that subjugates you. That's the story of Pharaoh, and Moses, right? Let my people go. Yeah, if you know your history, you know this is spot on, right? Right? Now listen, this comes to life when you know who the intended audience is for this. We can look at this and go, wow, this is cool for us, but th- this is written by Moses to a bunch of Israelites that weren't that far re- removed from the great Exodus, right? These are a bunch of slaves. And they're reading this going, true that? Yes, preachable, yes, that was us. How cool is that? I wonder how much credence, how much, how much uh, uh, encouragement they gave the reader when they're reading this going, yeah. That happened. I'm gonna keep reading this. This Moses guy, he's got direct revelations to God Almighty. That's true, amen? Gotta know your audience. What God's telling Abram is he, listen, you're gonna get this land, but you're gonna to have to be patient. It's gonna be a while. Your descendants are gonna go down. They're gonna learn a few things. They're gonna learn some things about me and about themselves. But someday in the fourth generation, your descendants are gonna be coming right back here and the promise can be realized, but you're gonna have to be patient. And then he ratifies it in verse 17. He's like, you wanna know? This is my favorite part about this. It says this, when the sun had gone down, verse 17, and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord, made or cut a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river of Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites and the Kennessites the and the Catamonites and the Hittites and the Perzites and the Raphim and the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites and the Jebusites. <laughs> when the sun had gone down, behold a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. Now listen, in the heart and the mind of a good Jew, what that meant was God Almighty walked through ratifying and guaranteeing this covenant. He cut the covenant. Notice who was there. The very presence of God, they would know what a flaming fire pot, and a smoking light, they knew what that would mean, right? Do you remember how the Israelites found their way around the wilderness? Does anybody remember? Yeah. Cloud, a cloud in the day and a flaming torch at night. That's what went through the pieces. So notice who was there, God Almighty himself. Notice who wasn't there. Did anybody catch it? Abram still. <laughs> mm. This is a covenant between God and Abram that was cut and ratified and guaranteed by God Almighty himself. It's an unconditional unilateral covenant. He didn't even hold up his end of the bargain. He won't do that until about chapter 17, when God asks him to start circumcising men to prove his commitment to this covenant. But right now, he's saying, I'm promising this on the basis of me. That's me. You see that smoke? You see that flame? That's God Almighty walking down through this covenant in terms you can understand You Jew boy, now listen to me. You may be the father of the Jews, but I'm your father and I'm the one upholding this. Amen? How encouraging is that? (laughs) When you look at these two promises, I mean, think about it. You have a guy that was suffering from very poor perspectives in verse one, down in the moly grubs, frozen by fear and doubts, had a horrible perspective and God met him and said, hey, fear not. Ah, I'm your shield. I'm your exceedingly great reward. He believed it when he saw the stars and boom, counted it as righteousness to him. Ah, promise realized, right? Faith, fear gone. And then the covenant cutting God, Mm, you know what? I'm the covenant cutter, ultimately, right? You may fail. You may not make your promises, but there's one who does. Amen. Promise maker, promise keeper, covenant cutter, all sufficient God. Amen. Amen. So, Father, we're so thankful for your people. We're thankful for your word. I pray that today, as we go about, we'd bring you glory and honor. I pray that we would grow into a relationship with you, that we'd realize that you are our shield, our great protection, and you are our exceedingly great reward pray that we would focus in on the ultimate giver, not the gifts. So be with us. Bless us for being here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, guys. God bless you.